Christina, you need some water? Another Mai Tai? Mm, I'm good. Why? I am looking through your show notes and looking a little thirsty. <laughs> well, uh, this is a steamy episode, so I will admit to that. I guess we'll just see. Welcome to Mad Men and Tonic. Welcome to Mad Men and Tonic, recapping Mad Men one workday cocktail at a time. I'm Christina. And I'm Elias. And this is season one, episode six. Babylon. We are in it now, aren't we? Yeah, we're in the mix. And our drink for this episode is Mai Tai, because that's what's served at the ad meeting that they have with folks from the Israeli Board of Tourism and... And the cruise line. Yes. It's always so nice when the show shouts out a specific cocktail so that mm-hmm. we're not floundering or floundering around on our own like we have in the last two episodes to find something on theme. Yes. Uh, the Mai Tai. Everyone has heard of the Mai Tai. It's well, got to be one of the most famous drinks out there, cocktail-wise. Oh, yeah. um, and it was invented supposedly by Trader Vic himself back in the 40s and 50s. Yeah. And was so popular that the world rum supply was depleted for a time. <laughs> um, of course, there's a dispute between Trader Vic and Beachcomber Don over who actually started the, who actually yeah. created the drink. Yeah, but there are significant differences in their recipes. And hmm. there are significant differences in Trader Vic's original recipe versus what most of us probably think is a Mai Tai now. Yeah. So, given our different tastes, we made them both. Yes, we did. And we're ready to share them both. Um, So the Trader Vic version is definitely more up my alley, where it showcases the taste of the liquor, rather than... um, All the sweets. Makes it it a sweet, easy juice bomb to drink. Mm -hmm. Um, So to make the Trader Vic version, take a cocktail shaker, fill it with both regular ice and crushed ice. And that's going to be important as we move on for this drink because it's differently it's presented differently. Mm-hmm. You add three quarters of an ounce of fresh lime juice. Uh, you add one half ounce of orange curacao. They recommend using the dry version, but that's pretty expensive. So we used uh, the, the really version. sweet sugary one. You could probably even substitute triple sec in it. You wouldn't miss a beat with this. Um, then you need to use a quarter of an ounce, aka one and a half teaspoons of Orgeat. O-R-G-E-A-T. Orgeat. And this is like a orange almond syrup. It is a fascinating flavor. Yeah, it's not like alcoholic on its own. Right. Um, but it definitely lends to the taste of the, of the Mai Tai. So like I said, quarter of an ounce or th- uh, one and a half teaspoons and then one and a half teaspoons of simple syrup. And then two ounces, or I like mine a little stronger, so I just put in two shots mm-hmm. of a nice aged pot stiller blended rum. And like I said, this is meant to showcase the rum, so don't be afraid to use a nicer rum if you're okay not drinking things straight all the time. Um, combine all the ingredients into a cocktail shaker, shake it up, and instead of straining it, 
you pour everything into the glass, into oh, a double man. old-fashioned glass. So there's no straining onto new ice. You use the same ice. Messy. It can be messy if you are not well-versed with pouring ice from glass to glass. But practice makes perfect. Yeah. And then um, serve with a mint sprig and a used lime, half-lime shell. Mm-hmm. Um, it's supposed to signify a little island. Like in the middle, you put it kind of with the yeah. mint upright. It should not yeah. be sunk. The lime should not be sunk because it's not going to enhance the drink at all. Nor should an island if you're trying to go to it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> As for the sugar bomb drink. One, the reason that I am not contributing as much in this current conversation is I've had... Uh, one and a half of these and that drink so that's like the sweet one that if you go to like a tiki bar nowadays you're gonna not i guess it depends how authentic your tiki if you go to a chili's i think is where you'll find this mai tai yeah most of the tiki bars are probably gonna gonna serve the the stronger one now because we're back into that uh classic era. cocktail yeah Yeah. well and because when we went to this cool tiki bar here in denver Back when they were bars were open, the hidden idol. I ordered a mai tai without like knowing that this distinction, and it was much stronger than I anticipated. And guess who ended up drinking that mai tai? Not yours truly. Yes. So it was a (laughs) win-win. So yeah. (laughs) So for this one, you're gonna do one and a half ounces of spiced rum. One half ounce of coconut flavored rum. And these ones you don't, like the rum's not, the taste of the rum is not going to shine through this drink as much. So you don't need to go crazy with these types. We used the Kraken and because we both have boycotted Captain Morgan from our college days. Yeah. And Malibu. Yeah. Um, pretty straightforward. Rough seas with yeah. the captain and the admiral, yes. his cheaper friend, Admiral Nelson. Isn't there Both another of them one? made me walk the plank. Yes, yeah, Sailor like, Jerry. Yeah, <laughs> none, of, none of those folks are who I want to spend time with when I'm having <laughs> alcohol. Anyway, so then, yeah, a half ounce of Malibu or coconut flavored rum, a teaspoon of grenadine syrup, um, if you don't have it on hand, but you do have maraschino cherries, you can always just scoop a bit of the juice out with that. Three ounces of pineapple juice two ounces of orange juice, and a cup of ice cubes. Mix it all together, shake it, serve it the same way. Um, this one is going to be fruitier, so you can serve it the cla- like the neo-classic way with the stick with pineapple and the cherry on it. Mm-hmm. Um, Trader Vic's also now serves their original recipes with that same cherry and pineapple, so that's kind of like a new addition to the drink. Yeah. But this one, you, you the more fruit, the better on this one. It really looks tropical. Get out your crazy glasses for this. <laughs> this is the real deal. Yeah. And, you know, the way that this changed was so apparently in like the 50s, the mid 50s, they brought the drink over or it became popular at like resorts in Hawaii. And so that was where they like added the pineapple and like the sweet version kind of then that's what became in fashion in like the late 50s early 60s right it's a resort drink you want it while you're sunbathing as opposed to the original mai tai you want at a bar right (laughs) like in the evening and a city it's a good like cocktail cocktail um so yeah those are your mai tais and we'll cheers Season 1, Episode 6 is called Babylon. 
and it opens with Don making his beloved wife the most shitty breakfast in bed he could concoct. Toast, coffee, orange juice from concentrate, and like one flower in a vase. Yeah, it must be Mother's Day because Don's doing something in the house. Yeah. For Betty. And it's, it's unfamiliar to him. When we when the episode opened, I was like, is Don making this for himself? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if he's just doing this. Um but yeah, it's pretty straightforward. What would you want on your Mother's Day breakfast in bed? Belgian waffle and French toast. A diamond necklace. So we're to, never having kids. To have <laughs> aged in reverse. And <laughs> world peace. Oh, nice. Way to, way to tone it down there at the end. Yeah. Um, yeah, so then he, but he's br- going to bring it upstairs for her, and he trips and, like, falls backwards down the stairs. But when the camera pans back to him at the bottom of the stairs, it's not adult Don Draper. It's young Dick Whitman. Yeah. Flashback. Flashback. Is this the first one? I think so. I think so, too. They're, you know, it's the same kind of thing where... It must have triggered Don's memory of this. He had fallen down, and his the figure Uncle Mac has asked him, you know, are you going to get up or just, like, lay there? And he's like, I'm getting up. Right, and it's a callback to the last episode, too, because we find out from the scene that Adam, baby Adam, has just been born. Mm -hmm. And uh, immediately, like, he kind of got that sense in the last episode based on how Adam was talking about the family versus how Don regards the family. Mm-hmm. Adam is clearly, like, the golden boy mm-hmm. um, compared to Don. And he had, like, it seems like he had definitely not a normal upbringing, but a more com- more happy upbringing. Yeah. Um, well, and he says, like, this isn't when they're, like, come meet your new baby brother. He's like, he's not my brother. And that was another mm-hmm. thing he said when he talked to Adam was that, you know, your mom is not my mom. Right. So there's some difference in the in the family structure there that the unknowing viewer has not um, become informed about yet. Right. And then as the scene goes on, we get the first... And, you know, Mad Men, for as serious and, like, era accurate as it strives to be, it doesn't... It's not afraid to delve into kind of surreal Twilight zone moments. And mm-hmm. we get one here. And again, this might be the first real one yeah, in the show. That I can think of. Where, Except for like the, the sounds of explosions oh, yeah. in the background. But yeah. Where Don, like, Don as a child stares down Don as an adult. Yeah. And they like, it's very they clear eyes. they're staring at each other. Um, yeah. Which and is a very bizarre scene. I'm not sure what it signifies. Basically, you know, confronting his past. Right, I assume it's the obvious on interpretation. It and seeing like how it made him who he is now, and this kind of goofy looking kid that they have playing him. Right, like, like your signature like, bowl cut, and like you know, ears sticking out. I mean, he's like you know, he's come a long way from Dick Whitman. That's yeah. for sure. You can tell, and I mean, that's what's so interesting is they make this not just a normal flashback, but a continuity of one scene, you know, mm-hmm. and it's really catches you off guard from otherwise what's a milk toast uh, breakfast in bed scene turned into fall down the stairs scene. That, yeah, like, oh, the clumsy husband. I right. never do anything around the house. Right. Yeah. But yeah, and then they, but then it flashes back to present day. The kids like come out to the top of the stairs and Betty is like, oh my God, like you fell and... 
Um, he had tripped on a toy. Yeah. Damn kids. Mm-hmm. Betty's wearing one of her adorable signature nighties with like a sheer robe over it. And he's as he's laying there, he's like, oh, happy Mother's Day. Right. Sad think, sap. You think Betty cleaned it up? Yeah. Yeah. Mother's happy Day's Mother's over Day. because I did. It was a thought that counts, basically, with mm-hmm. Don, I'm pretty sure. But anyway, very interesting first way to open the uh, the episode. Yeah. Then it's the end of the day, the same day, Mother's Day, and they come in and the kids are like asleep, so they're carrying them in through the house. And um, Dawn is like carrying the balloon. That's one of the kids' balloons. Yeah, like every little kid's Mother's Day needs to be a holiday they can enjoy. So they <laughs> went to. It looks like they went to some carnival. Or yeah. Some kind of thing. Well, yeah, and he has to like keep like tugging it through like all the doorways, and it seemed to me wanted to try to get into the symbolism of it based on the first scene that it's like his childhood like or his you know innocence trailing around after him oh that's interesting i almost thought it was the burden of his family bumping behind him that he <laughs> has to keep uh yeah. pushing down i god the show just it doesn't it doesn't give you much no you gotta think about it you can come to your own conclusions um don is reading in bed a book called The Best of Everything by Rona Jaffe. Yeah, it's a 1958 book, and it's about five young employees at a New York publishing company. And from the way Don's looking at it, it's very compelling and dirty. Yeah. Um, whatever that means in 1960. Um, it was made into a movie the next year, so obviously it was extremely popular, uh, starring, of course, Joan Crawford, who we'll get to. Um, it was also adapted into a soap opera, and a play. And the soap opera was written by Inside the Actors Studio himself, James Lipton. Oh my gosh. But then we really get back into the same kind of thing that Betty talked about in the second episode when there was the car accident. About like her just concern about aging. Like a really mortal fear of aging. And because she's talking about how Joan Crawford used to be one of the, like the great like screen beauties of our time and now like she just looks she looks older it's unsettling to see her not looking like the same young screen beauty she used to look like and um her eyebrows are bizarre right yeah look like worms but finally we get to see january jones kind of flex and act in this scene um Betty gets like a monologue, monologue type thing. And they go back. I guess it's not a monologue, but it's a little more meat to the dialogue. Mm-hmm. Um, and you get a, actually a sense of some chemistry between these two for the first time oh, as yeah. well. This whole episode, I have to say, is like steamy. A lot of scenes in it. They definitely up the sexy yeah, dialogue throughout. It's crazy. Um, but yeah, so, you know, Betty is going on that she wants to just disappear when she gets crow's feet, basically. You know, they don't have Botox yet, so (laughs) it's understandable to feel that way. Um, but she's like, and then she's also kind of talking about her mom. And so I think that that's another point that also came up in the car scene when she, we learned that she had started having her hands like tense up after her mom died and... Her mom was, like, like her, very obsessed with, like, beauty and, like, maintaining, like, your age and your looks. And so this is now kind of more of a fixation for Betty, especially, I think, now that her mom has passed away. Right. And so we get a sense it wasn't that long ago that her mom yeah, died. Yeah, within the last, like, year or two, it seemed like right. she had cancer, I think. 
yeah, I don't recall exactly, but of course Don was like, no, no being sad on this holiday that's your holiday, but don't ruin it for me either. Yeah. <laughs> no melancholy, which I feel like is the old-timey term for depression. Yeah. Yeah, no yeah. depressed talk here. <laughs> you know, from there, they talk a bit about her therapy. They really cover the globe. We get some uh, Inuit references of pushing old people out on the ice flows. Mm-hmm. We get some pygmies in pygmies in New Guinea references. The Sistine Chapel. Yeah, we span the globe in these two's little <laughs> these two their little uh, flirt sesh. Yeah, because then after they you know have had this more emotional conversation is when it gets sexy and Don is like, oh, like tell me more. And then he's like, how are your classes and advanced reproduction going <laughs> yeah and here we get yeah yeah let's get cooking with gas it's here frisky and then they're like betty says get the light which means yeah it's business time after betty's like minute long like confession of obsession that she kind of has about yeah Dawn, where she's like, like i yeah. just have to keep my hands busy all day because i'm basically. thinking about you all the time all the time. Your car coming down the driveway. I put the kids to bed early. I make a grocery list. I cook butter scotch pudding. I never let my hand idle, brushing my hair, drinking my milk. And it's all in a kind of fog because I can't stop thinking about this. <laughs> yeah, it's... Flattering, you know. But it's a moment of honesty from Betty. So, and like vulnerability too. Yeah, because then at the end, like she still says it and he's like, you have me. And she's kind of getting like emotional and it's like, I guess, you know, she's disconnecting the physicalness of the emotional caring of him. Yeah. And I don't know if you were married to John Hamm, you probably fucking think about it all day too. (laughs) Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah. Back at the office is when they are meeting with, like we mentioned earlier, the um, guy that they know from doing some work with him on a cruise line, and then people from the Israeli Ministry of Tourism. Yeah, and they want to make Haifa the Rome to Beirut's Paris, Paris. of the Middle East. And yeah. Apparently. Sterling Cooper worked on Rio, and Don takes credit for the Christ the Redeemer statue in this scene. I don't know if that's a joke or what. It's a joke because they're Israeli, and he's like, we can't get you. We're not going to put a statue of Jesus in Haifa, Israel. Yeah, so we can't get you the same kind of buzz. I think it's just like he's taking credit for them, like, creating more buzz about it. Right, and yeah. This seems like a very preliminary meeting because... Again, this is where they're serving the Mai Tais and the caviar and the mm-hmm. blinis. Yeah. Blinis are like Russian-Ukrainian wheat flour pancakes. Mm-hmm. They're everywhere if you go to Russia. Yeah. Um, so. And also just in Eastern Europe generally. Mm-hmm. So this is like kind of like a first impression type thing because they do mention they were going to go see one of the Jewish advertising Agencies. agencies well they don't well. say it and i think that's the implication or at least another agency I yeah but they're like you know that's a different approach and we wanted to get a read on your kind of glamour approach now that you've gotten these awards too so you know they're getting more buzz from these awards that were received recently 
Yeah. So this sets the stage for the Mai Tais, and I recommend you make another because it is going to set the stage for many uncomfortable remarks about Jewish people through the rest of the episode. Um, and that is one of the themes of the episode. It's called Babylon. Mm-hmm. We'll get back to that, but it's just clearly a waspy company trying yeah. to figure out how best to appeal to sure. people they don't know. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, they, they talk about this book that's been really popular, um, which is Yeah, Exodus. it's called Exodus by mm-hmm. Leon Uris. Um, I don't know much about the book. I know Leon Uris. He's a very famous writer. This was considered and praised as the best piece of propaganda for Israel ever written. The first prime minister of Israel said, as far as propaganda goes, you cannot get better than Exodus by Leon Uris. So that's what it is, and it yeah. is the story of... Um, the establishment of the state. Um, and it opens with a famous ship, the Exodus, that is the first group of refugees leaving Europe. Um, again, 1960, another book almost immediately turned into the film mm-hmm. because this book was published uh, in 1958 as well. It was turned into a movie in 1960 with none other than one of my favorite actors of all time, one of the greatest looking people of all time, Paul Newman. Mm, yeah, um, very handsome. But they, they're they advised by the prospective clients that they want to steer away from just um, making their ad based on religious messaging. and um, Which makes a ton of sense, let's be yeah, honest. You know, so they want to they focus instead on the kind of luxury and the, you know, glamorous travel destination idea. And... Don asks, you know, if you're if you'd your ideal tourist, what is his yearly salary? And they say, whatever you make. Good line. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and the, from the looks of it, I don't know. Obviously, Haifa doesn't come to anyone's name like Beirut does. Mm-hmm. But the pictures look pretty awesome. It looks mm-hmm. like a pretty uh, cool place. Yeah. So. And who should show up at the office but Roger's wife, Mona, who we've met before, and his daughter, Margaret, or as Roger says, a couple of angels. I say Moody Margaret. <laughs> uh, we did, they did discuss her in episode two regarding her depression issues. Yeah. And uh, she is not happy to be here. And she's clearly. what, like 16, 17 16, or so? 16, yeah, this, I would think so. Yeah. And so she's come into the city with her mom to get a haircut. And her dad laments like, oh, you know, I like your ponytail. It makes you look young. And she says that she likes his hair because it makes him look old. Yeah, let's just say it runs in the family, the uh, clapbacks. Yeah, the biting commentary. Um, And she looks miserable until lo and behold, uh, Joan and Don walk into the scene. And even Mona's like, damn, like. There's two good-looking look folks. Good. Yeah. Damn, Don. Damn, Don. <laughs> Damn, Mr. Draper. <laughs> Killing it with the gray suits. <laughs> yeah. um, but it's so funny, yeah, how much she cheers up because Don is clearly like, you know, it's like her, like her dad's business associate, but she's not immune to his charms, and she's, you know, probably just starting to get really kind of like, you know, interested in like, men and um she would make out with him right there based on the look on her face she yeah she gives him this like look that's just like pure adoration she's like hello mr draper a little yeah a little seductive even yeah beyond in front of her parents yeah but it's so funny because like don is so tickled by this like in not even in not in an inappropriate way just like he like grins like it's so like 
it's you know, like, funny yeah, to him. Look at it's like look at this nine year old girl that thinks I'm cute. Yeah, know? no, it's but even though she's so goofy, know, seventeen. But, but yeah, he takes it in stride, which you have to learn to do that when you look like Don. I think. Yeah, you're not gonna. No one's gonna react to you normally because you're not a normal person. <laughs> you're in the bubble. You're, you're in special, the bubble. Yeah. and you deserve to be treated specially. Um, and then Joan, his equal, is right there saying, yeah. "Oh, we'll get you a haircut." Yeah, because that's the thing is they don't know where to go, but like. Again, this is like the type of thing that Joan is like exactly who you ask at this office. And she's like, we're going to get you like a Brigitte Bardot hairstyle. And she had like that big, like sexy, voluminous hair. Right. And it shows that how out of touch Roger is because he asked his secretary first. She says, I cut my own hair. Yeah. And both Roger and Mona turn around and roll eyes at each other. Like, yeah. And Roger's oh like, God. you picked her, oh like implying God. that yeah. Mona was like, you need a less hot secretary <laughs> yeah. or something. Or like, you know, one that's not. Yeah. Gonna try to come on to you. But Joan will take care of this stuff. And, yeah. Uh, the scene ends interestingly, kind of ambiguously, where she used to love being in my office, and it's it could apply to Mona or to uh, Margaret. It's funny. I assumed Margaret, like, oh, my little kid used to like to come in and spin around in my desk chair, but yeah. maybe you're right. It could be as well. I think it's to Margaret, too, but the way it's said is like... <laughs> yeah. I don't I mean, know. They've been married for go, a, yeah. a, a long time, yeah. We cut to Roger in a hotel room, and he's, like, sitting or laying in the bed, talking to someone in the other room, like, in the bathroom section of the hotel. And, you know, he's, like, talking about his daughter, haircuts the least of her problems, you know, just kind of complaining and talking about her getting older and what being wayward. Yeah. And then we it's revealed who he's talking to. Wow. It's Joan. Good pull, Roger. Joan. Oh, my God. Good pull. God. Yeah, it is. I didn't see this coming. I don't know that we've seen them interact that much in, in prior episodes. They exchange, like, a really flirty look in, like, episode one or You're right. two. You're right. Like, one of the first scenes in the office. Yeah. Yes. But, like, otherwise, no, not really. And then, yeah, during the meeting where she was kind of, like, running things. Right. And let's just say the ensuing conversation puts... Don and Betty in the back seats. Yeah, more more steaminess. Because now we've got two of the best talkers in the <laughs> entire show. Yeah. In an intimate situation. And yeah, Roger's like basically trying to get her to stay in bed and you know go for another round. And she's like, I have to get. You don't have to go back to work, but I do. And then you know it's also clear he's kind of spending a lot of money like on her. He bought her a pearl necklace. They yeah. ordered oysters. A real pearl necklace. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, at first when he says you like the pearl necklace I gave you, it's like... Was that joke that old? Is that joke from 1960? No yeah, way. Yeah, but then no, she's no, like, it's gorgeous. No. like, oh, like, it's actually. Actual, yeah, it's been not, a while since I've just heard that reference yeah. on its own and not <laughs> yeah. meaning the other. Yeah. Well, <laughs> thanks. That means a lot. <laughs> um, but yeah, and they ordered all this fancy food. She doesn't like eating close to bed or yeah. food being on a cart close to bed because it reminds her of the hospital right well roger's line right before that describing the food i don't know that that helps oysters rockefeller beef wellington and napoleons if we leave this food here it will take over europe <laughs> <laughs> which phenomenal yeah it's just yeah, great. great it's just a simple joke <laughs> and then yeah they're kind of presenting this thing like roger wants her to be like you know like a little kept woman like a you know, have her own apartment and stay there, lock her up for a week. Yeah, it's a good stereotype reversal here. 
where normally, you know, the Fatal Attraction type vibe you get. I don't want to just jump to Fatal Attraction, but normally the mistress wants the husband to break up with the wife. Mm-hmm. But here he's like trying to make this more serious, invest more in this. And she's like, don't you just like coming to hotels yeah. and doing like, this? Yeah. Like, I don't she, want to change how I'm living. She's not taking him seriously. And he's like, I was thinking of leaving my wife. And she gives him this like joking little slap, like, like smack him on the face. Like, right. Because off. he said, I was so unhappy before this. I was thinking of leaving my wife. Now I'm happy. I'm not thinking about that oh, anymore. I it was kind of a joke. Oh, that I didn't saying, catch it that way. This has been the best year of my life. Before this, I was thinking of leaving my wife. God. Uh, a, a good Roger Sterling quip again. I mean, yeah, he's really turned on the charm here. And she says, you know, I know about as much about men as you know about advertising, and I know that sneaking around is your favorite part. And he says, I have a lot of favorite parts. Yeah, just the hands come up and let's let's go. And he's like, you know, if because the problem is like she lives with a roommate, so that's like his whole thing is like, you know, if you had your own apartment, we'd have more privacy. And she says she'd get lonely. He says, why don't you get a bird? They're neat. And, you know, as far as pets go. Yeah. And it's a clear, uh, you know, new environment, new exciting environment for both of them. They're very, like, boom, boom, mm-hmm. boom, 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 Twitter-pated. And, you know, he's probably not deviated from the high society circle that much. And she's probably excited about, like, old money rich Mm. you know affair mm. I think she, it's interesting that she hooked up with that doctor in the first episode yeah who had well, a house in the Hamptons well, yeah it's beautiful that's true <laughs> that's true but this is a little different I think because they work together yeah so but she says, yeah, they're both just you know enjoying the excitement mm-hmm. and she says Roger if you had your way I would be stranded in some paperweight with my legs stuck in the air. He's like, you can't just that image, give me that yeah. image and then say you're going to leave. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. So yeah. we jump right in. Well, Mad Men really knows how to damper down a sexy scene, and it's with pictures from the Holocaust, which is what we jump to immediately. Like it cuts to it. Yeah. yeah Don is brainstorming with the crew. Yeah, and they're talking in just about like, you know, it's again about this campaign for israel tourism and so they're kind of you know researching how the what information people have learned about the holocaust and it's a pretty rough scene because it's pretty clear that none of them are that familiar none of them seem that supportive of the israeli state they Mm -hmm. believe it's more communist yeah um you know it's it's pete and um sal and don Mm -hmm. but they're just talking about how to pitch this in this time, 1960, you know, Israel's only been a state for 10 years, 13 mm-hmm. years, I think, something like that. And again, it comes back to like this book, Exodus, and they say that, you know, the daughters of the American Revolution are like peddling this book up and down Fifth Avenue, which is like that, <laughs> you know, you're trying to be in touch with like modern Israeli Jewish people, and you're talking about this, the most like white bread, like. Yeah, one of the oldest groups in the country. Yeah. But even with that peddling, they can't figure out how to sell this. 
and they just don't know. But Sal points out that people are good looking, and uh, lo and behold, Don, the creative mastermind that he is, takes this opportunity to call the one Jewish person he knows, who also happens to be very good looking. Yeah. So this meeting ends pretty fruitless, except... Except they gave Don the idea. The idea the and the excuse, exactly. To call Rachel To call again. one of the favorite characters of the show so far, Rachel Mankin. Yeah, so he gets a private line out, and you see Rachel on the other end wearing, again, she always looks, you know, professional, fashionable, and rich. She looks so good always. Mm-hmm. She is so attractive all the time in this show. It's amazing. Yeah, so she's wearing, like, this, like, bright, like, cobalt blue kind of suit with, like, short sleeves and, like, big... She always wears, like, this big, like, silver or gold kind of costume jewelry, like, big baubles. And yeah, like, this, this is the kind of thing that we would put on our Christmas tree, but, you know, like, those <laughs> bobble, tinsel baubles around yeah. there, but it's, like, a three-layered one necklace yeah. and big eyebrows. Brought up again mm-hmm. from the Joan Crawford discussion earlier, she's got very defined... Uh, eyebrows and looks great she does but she does not look happy no she's like i almost didn't take your call (laughs) number one yeah and he's like i need to talk to you and she's like i'm busy and he's like it's for an urgent business thing like he's like come meet me for a drink and finally she's like lunch tomorrow lunch like that's all we're doing. Right, which is so interesting. Don't get any no- funny ideas. Because remember last episode when Trudy was so adamant that lunch wasn't even appropriate. <laughs> so it's just kind of a contrast of what yeah. things mean to people. Like That's to funny. Trudy, lunch means like I'm stepping I'm out on my husband. To yeah. like get your story published. Well, whereas to Mankin, lunch is like casual. Well, but also like... I don't think that either Pete or Trudy or what's his Charlie Fittich floated drinks because that would have been like a you know absolute signaling of that it was going to be something like sexual, right? But here it's like she knows that that is something that would be on up for debate, and so she's dialing it back. Yeah, but Trudy has dialed hers back to just time to set terms. Yeah, yeah, right. Um. Um, Because both of them were about business, remember. Mm Mm-hmm. But, yeah, so she's like, you know, we're going to go to the tea room at the Pierre, which is one of those, like, fancy old New York hotels, and, you know, just lunch. He says, message received. And then he's kind of contemplating, you know, after they hang up, and he's, like, looking at the, you know, the, the images between the, the magazine cover they have of like the model that Sal pointed out as you know the beautiful woman from Israel, and then right. the Holocaust photos are also on his desk. So yeah. it's like a very jarring kind of yeah. It's it's hard to image. It's a good like sense of Don's mind regarding the pitch right now. Is like God, there's so many extremes here. What yeah? How can we make this work? It? Yeah. yeah. Then Don is back home in the suburbs, again, reading in bed. Now he's yeah. reading the Exodus book. Yeah, what a fucking nerd. Yeah, because Betty's like, what, did you get a library card? You never read. I didn't marry a reader. Yeah, I married you a hot... I married a doer. Ad man, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> then Betty just drops this story, oh, which is... So good. She... <laughs> her self-reflections are truly just really out there. It's Betty early on... 
just how hard it is to get her story coming. And then you get these gems. Yeah. Um, where finally we start learning about Betty, mm-hmm. you know? And, oh, my God, what a story. So she tells Don the first boy that she ever kissed was Jewish. Don says, like this, this is his intonation. How did that happen? She's And then he's like, how did your mom, like, <laughs> let, let you, yeah. because she's, again, from this really, like, waspy background. And so Don is just like that, just is out of, you know, your usual realm to be hanging out with other kids that are Jewish. And her friend was friends with a Jewish girl. And it's a fundraiser. So yeah, like, and that's course, why your mom let course. you go. This is uh, something to go out and philanthropize at. Mm-hmm. Philanthropy. Is that a Philanthropy. word? Philanthropy. Philanthropy. I don't know. Is there about... a, can you verb it? <laughs> I don't know. All right. Anyway, we're gonna go ahead and verb it. Philanthropy. Verb it. Here. Yeah. Um. She danced with this boy, and she says he was gloomy and good looking. Yeah. But he was a good kisser, and he had more practice than her. And Don's like, yeah, I bet he was really disappointed. Yeah. Well, the rumor spread apparently. Yeah. But she, as she said, you know, everyone was like, yeah, they were like necking at this, you know, charity ball. <laughs> and but Betty ends the story with, and they were all blondes by next summer. Just a good roast. God, God Betty. Betty. Like, I know what I, I know what I am. Yeah. I'm over my youth issues from the last scene that I was in. And yeah. I'm like back to my normal Being, yeah. self. So by the way, let's whatever. get an air conditioner. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. After she comes on to him and he says, I can't. It's too hot and I'm reading a book about the desert. And she's like, well, let's get an air conditioner and I'll solve this problem. <laughs> well, it won't. Cause... Well, we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> At the office, Freddie Rumson is pouring vodka into his OJ. Yeah. And wait, wait, wait. We need to kind of prelude Freddie Rumson. Has he been We're not in sh- the show yet? I, I don't know. Maybe briefly. But not as, like, a man. He seems like, based on this scene, and again, we're just trying to build the hierarchy of the office a bit here. He's, like, the vice to Don in creative. He seems to be a creative, executive-level creative, but still below Don, but not that far below Don. He seems to have clout with the young guys, for sure. Yeah. And he seems to be able to direct the office, for sure. But he's, like, older than Don, too, you know. And the Which first shows scene. you how, like, meteoric the rise of Don was in his advertising. In the first career. scene we get with him. Is him. At, and it is breakfast time, because the other guys are like, do you need to finish your breakfast? Right. It is an open secret that this man just drinks all the time. All, all the time. And there's other jokes about it in this episode. Right. A day without orange juice is a long day. Well, you just saw him pour in some straight up stoli into his breakfast and then sip it with no hands. Yeah. So he's un- unashamed of it too. But know? like it's more, it's, even though everyone is drinking during the day, it his drinking is like noticeably higher that other right. people comment on it. Which it makes me think Don used him as an excuse earlier in the show. They had to... Carry Rumson out on a yep. I think you're right. A stretcher yeah. or something like yeah. that. And everyone was like, "Yep, checks out." Sounds about right. <laughs> yeah. Um, but they're talking about the campaign that they're going to need to develop for Belle Jolie lipsticks. Is that a real brand? I don't know. Huh. It's not. 
something you not where I shop. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, they say that they they have more colors of lipstick than uh, Howard Johnson's has flavors of ice cream. Which I think pin that, that in your pocket for way later five years in the future. Which Howard Johnson to me is like our Baskin Robbins thirty two flavors. There are more flavors of ice cream at Howard Johnson. I think it's like I think it's more like a re- it's like restaurant hotels and coffee shops though too. Ice cream is like I know it's one a different vibe than a Baskin Robbins, but I'm just thinking yeah. like flavor wise. Must be. Like, I don't think I've ever been to a Baskin Robbins. We didn't have them in Minnesota. Well, I've never been to a Howard Johnson's. Them. I don't know that they That's exist a, anymore. It's mostly that. Canada and then probably like, yeah, like New York. Okay, just like that donut shop they have. What's that donut shop they have called? That's that. In Canada? That hockey players started. Uh, anyway, I can't remember. Hmm, I don't know. But, uh, yeah. Our neighbors to the north. Yeah. Who can keep track of all the better things that they're doing yeah. there, including just free health care. A good life, yeah. Yeah. Justin Trudeau. Who's just, Let's move on. You have Don Draper like, already. He seems like he was created to mock us as Americans. Like, wow. like he's just there to make us more unsatisfied with our lives in our Well, we mocked world. his father for all of his terms, so, I mean, yeah. what goes around comes around. Anyway, yeah, there's, our, there's our political jargon for the day. Oh, take, take what you uh, <laughs> take what you will. But here's their additional political jargon, which is: What if one of the colors of lipstick with Ethel Rosenberg pink? You can wear it to the chair. Right. And so she and her husband were famously like executed for espionage. Yeah, like as you know, communist espionage during the time of the. The Red Scare and the right. Cold and War ramping up. The hindsight's historical analysis, I believe, is that she was almost definitely a spy and her husband was maybe a spy. Oh, really? But they were both executed as a couple. Yeah. It could be the opposite way around. But one of them was basically like executed for being the spouse, spouse. of the other. Ugh. Yeah. Um, but they were not apologetic about it either, and they didn't, well, you know, there was, neither of them were, like, going too hard to clear their names. Well, but I think it was, it was just more about, like, the, the hysteria, like, the country's hysteria, and that they, like, gleefully watched oh, this, right. like, this young the couple height. with, like, I think yeah. they had kids, This is the too. height of the McCarthyist, uh, yeah. you know, purge. And then they make a joke it. about it here, so, you know, that's... Well, again, you know... We just see the American anything that's not waspy con- is like yeah, just continue to you know. flaunt their New England roots and <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> Cosgrove is like, did you know? Did you know that lipstick was invented to mimic the flush in a woman's face after you treated her right? <laughs> and they're like, if you're gonna quote the research, don't start with "Did you know?" Yeah, after Cosgrove's peak last episode he's back to being the doofus he's been in the rest of the episodes yeah where I'll everyone is just like god you are just a corn-fed moron basically <laughs> you just yeah god, vermont doof. get out of here vermont. yeah you smiley blonde doof yeah also have any of these men like intentionally given their wives an orgasm no way zero percent did they know that women could have orgasms at this time and place I, is, I think just barely, I think. They should do a study group on that in the show, and we would see what everyone yeah. would say. So, you don't know what you're talking about, and you're just copying facts, so shut up. Right. But they're like, you know, we're going to need some other input on this. 
So we're going to send it to... Yeah, let's feed it to the chickens. That's what they say. And what that means is a focus group of secretaries at the office to try out the lipsticks. They're all pumped. And they go into a room. The room has like a mirror in it. Joan says something funny that I just realized now, which is... And remember, ladies, the mirror is not always your friend. And that is because it is a one-way glass and there is like a viewing room for the men to watch these focus groups. Now, normally in like a situation where, you know, if they're testing out cereal and they want like each of the kids to try like a sugar, sugary cereal, it could be beneficial to watch. But it is for... This is straight voyeurism almost. Prurient reasons that they are doing it here. Right, which is so good <laughs> the way they set this scene up because they come in and they give Joan this moment to like... Give her a quip and just show her command over the whole secretarial secretarial unit. Yeah. And you notice the mirror in the background because Joan mentions it. But you don't think about it beyond that until until we go behind the mirror. Yeah. And we find this movie theater slash bar slash bachelor lounge with reclining chairs. Looking into the room. Yeah. And yeah, they're all... Excited because, especially because it's this one is the women in the office trying on lipstick, so they're gonna be like smacking their mouths and wetting their lips and all this stuff. And we're right back into the dorms basically for these dudes, they're just all ready to make jokes. They all one by one get their moment to shine, yeah. And what Sal's um, uh, contribution to this is his little fashion critique where he has like a marker and he's like. This girl has no taste. This one has an ugly dress. This one has a bad wig. And we have to say that there's people sitting down, and they all have little mirrors. But there are people using the main mirror, too. Mm -hmm. So there are people right up in their face. And yeah, so you just... I mean, there's just no way around Sal's different perspective at this point. Um, But it's so... And it's made so obvious to the modern viewer, but like... He's totally just flying under the radar there for the most part. It makes it such an interesting character in a character relationship. Do people know and don't care because he's not out? Do people suspect? No one seems to mind at this point what's going on or, or, or anything about or no, yeah. Because everyone else has their own jokes to make, first of all, here. Once they all get a little drink. Yeah, like... One by one. I love just, it when they do that, like, kind of you know, the kissing, puckering. And he says, my little blowfish. Yep. Then we get Kinsey. Kinsey. Anybody mind if I take off my pants? (laughs) Oh, Lord. And we go back in there for a brief moment with with Joan. And I guess they only have German scientists conducting these types of experiments. It's just like the research they got in the smoking stuff. Another It's not the same woman. But it's just another German scientist conducting this research for them. I don't and she, know. Yeah, she's asking these questions like, do you match your lipstick to your clothes or your accessories or the seasons? And Joan is like giving little like peanut gallery comments behind her like, I know that sounds like a loaded question. And she is like, it is unloaded. Please like buzz off, basically. And Joan doesn't move, of course. <laughs> and Allison is just... The secretary is like, oh my God, like you can see that it register across her face, the fear that like, A, she didn't realize she was supposed to match her lipstick to the seasons, which isn't really like something that is you do anymore, but 
at that time, apparently. And then B, that Joan is going to find out that she doesn't. She's very good looking, too. But yeah. she's, like, does so good at the, like, what is going on here? Yeah. Am I, what, what am I supposed to say? Yeah. And then now when Pete comes in, his joke is a different type, which is when are they going to turn the electricity on through those chairs? Because he views this as, like, a viewing room of an execution. Yeah, God. Yeah, Pete, that's not exactly what the vibe is here. It's in a bit of a dark place. (laughs) Uh, Roger. Roger has maybe the best facial expression of the episode Mm -hmm. beyond what Allison did in the scene before, (laughs) the, the seasons of lipstick. He was... The transformation of his face from, like... Fear to complete joy when he found out that it was still going on was amazing. Yeah. And then, so the funny thing is, like, we think that Joan knows. Joan knows everything about the office. And so that would, you would assume, include the fact that this is a two-way mirror. And so she comes over and, like, bends over in front of the mirror so that her, like, ass is facing it and all the dudes are like i want to salute that and so they all stand up and like salute her and roger is just in the background at the bar just like staring stone-faced and because it's a whole different vibe for them it's like oh joan's like the hot the hottie of the office like it's fun to like make a quip but for roger it's like you know the woman he's sleeping with but she knows exactly what she's doing yeah she's doing this because she knows roger's probably in there yeah trying to fuck with him she's trying to fuck with all these guys and she does it continuously but the most important part of this scene is our old friend what's with mouse ears over there yeah peggy she's not trying on a bunch of lipsticks like everyone else no she's watching people like she's back in the room with the guys basically yeah but she's a little more polite yeah she's not saying a word but she's just looking observing what is going on here yeah and she's wearing you know again she's like the only one in the room that's got like her hair in like a ponytail instead of like you know a curly updo or much higher uh neckline Mm-hmm. on her dress and a little, and like a scarf little, thing. Yeah, and like a kind of collar and like a, you know, white trimmed navy blue dress. They and do things differently in Bay Ridge. Yeah. You know? Well, again, it's just she is such a, um, like, yeah, I said before, like a demure and like kind of girly sense of style and it's not meant to be overtly sexy. And so it's just, again, like she's kind of um, seeming like she's out of place, not participating in this activity and just kind of watching and waiting. Don has better things to do than to, you know, join in this, like, Porky's voyeur shit at the office. He has to go to lunch with Rachel at the pier. Right, and at first it seems like he's going to stand her up, or she's going to stand him up. Mm-hmm. He's it, waiting for he's, her. She probably like came late. He's done with his first old-fashioned. And uh, that's the first thing I got, I you know, because I didn't remember this season very well, and he gets up. And I didn't see her walk in right away. I was mm-hmm. like, oh, she just got stood up. But yeah. then she walks in, and she's unmistakable. Kept him wake- waiting, wearing her, yeah, she's wearing a red skirt suit with, like, cream-colored piping trim, cream shoes, and gold costume jewelry. Right, she reached to the top shelf of her so-called closet, a.k.a. her department store, for this lunch. It's just a lunch. Dreams, dreams, dreams. It's just dreams. a lunch. Yeah, um... 
and she says yes how she is and she says tired he says it doesn't show and that she looks beautiful and she's like i thought we had to talk about business here that's why right. you wanted me to come right yeah, she's not comfortable at all he keeps trying to he's like you want an irish coffee you want you know like trying to get her to drink a bit and Get things like, loosey-goosey, and she's like, no, coffee. He's like, yeah, the thing is, it's business, but it's not your business. He's <laughs> like, help with Israel. And she's like, am I the only Jewish person that you know? And he's like, you're my favorite. Also, yes. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> the only one who, yeah, I call on the phone. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, they talk about the movie, and she's like, oh, it's nice that Paul Newman is in it. Now I have two reasons to see it. Right, and... Again, this scene builds so well and so nicely between the dialogue. It's a different dialogue than Don and Betty. Mm-hmm. And the chemistry here is equally strong. Yeah, it is, so is like it's sexy really when it is just yeah. a scene of them like out at a lunch together. Yeah, and Rachel's just trying to just get out of this as fast as she can, basically. But, but she, she also can't help herself. Soaked in, yeah. And... He's, like, you know, he's kind of nervous and, like, a little more jittery because he's trying to, like, make things better between them and kind of get back to their same, you know, where they started off. And he spills, like, something on his tie, and she, like, dabs out his tie with a napkin. Yeah, Jesus. And she's, like, you usually look so put together. And they exchange a look that literally gave me goosebumps. Right. Well, yeah, I, you know, it is. in terms of the excuse to call, it makes sense. But I'm not sure this is like your reconciliation conversation <laughs> that Don was looking for. Like, huh, let's talk about Israel and tourism. I don't know yeah. that that is exactly where you want to, you know, no. start laying your game down. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is just the most like flimsy excuse. And she's like, she says what she says. She says, I'm American. I'm not really that Jewish. I'm um, not, I, I, what did she say? I could go, I would go there, but I'm not going to live there. Yeah. I, I have need, my own life I don't need here. To I have a separate there, yeah. life. And, you know, I just, I don't know much about how it is in Israel. But she gives him a little bit of a, yeah, a lesson about the whole situation, you know, yeah. the situation, which. Like we still are in exile and, you know, we've, we're kind of forced in these situations where we're doing business with people that don't like us. And we thrive with doing business with people that don't like us. Which that is hate fascinating, us. That hate yeah, us. That hate yeah. us. Yeah, which is a fascinating uh, commentary on, I mean, based on the rest of this episode, it's an interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And they talk about how commentary. it's like an idea to go to Israel, not really a place that she thinks of going, but a utopia. And then he gets all, you know, he's like, oh, yeah. Like, he he gets all, you know, smiling, grabs her hand and, like, rubs her hand. and she, But she pulls it away and then talks about how at Barnard she had learned utopia. There's two words in Greek for it. One means the good place and one means the place that cannot be. And they have, like, this, like, locked eye contact and he... Kind of his face falls and then she she leaves right but we see that parallel from the first second scene of this show when he's talking with betty and betty lays down some college knowledge mm-hmm. on don and it like gets to him yeah in a way it makes him interested it pulls him in a bit she went to barnard which mm-hmm. we did some research barnard is still an all-girls school it's a Counterpart to Columbia. Oh, um, it started as one, yeah. It started as, and then, because Columbia didn't admit 
women until I don't know, probably the fifties or sixties. A while. Probably yeah. not even now. In this era, I mean. Oh. And, uh, <laughs> it's like they do now. But, but Barnard's like, cool. Well, we're still gonna do our own thing. They're still all girls. Um, I didn't, I think we find out where Betty went. She went to Bryn Mawr. Bryn Mawr. Bryn Mawr. Yeah. yeah. So again, um, just the fact that we're getting this sense that Don likes this intellectual. You know, yeah. stimulating conversation, and we get the from two ends of the spectrum from Rachel and mm-hmm. from uh, from Betty. Yeah, he likes women that can, right? You know, keep up a back and forth conversation well, and can kind of, um, you know, point out where his shit and stuff. And Rachel yeah, always good, does that. It's a good parallel, and if the chemistry is equal, if depending on how you feel about both of the characters, decide which one you feel more in tune with, I guess. But uh, two, like, surprisingly paralleling scenes mm-hmm. um, in terms of, not in terms of the content, but in terms of the positions of the characters. And the dynamics, yeah. Yeah, and the dynamics. After the focus group, Peggy is helping Joan clean up, and um, Freddie is also in there, and Peggy gives him the, the wastebasket with all the, it's like, all the Kleenexes that have, like, the lipstick kiss prints on them because people have been, like, dabbing off the color to put on a new one. Right, you're doing that lip bite thing. And, yeah, whatever yeah. you do with I don't know. You always see those images of the lip. Mm-hmm. Well, it's because you're putting it... I mean, they're probably taking it off, too, but then you're also putting it in between your lips and, like, um, getting the sure stuff that's on, on the inside of your okay. lips. So yeah, it so it doesn't get on your teeth. teeth. Okay. But, yeah. Um, and Peggy hands it off to Freddie and says, here's your basket full of kisses. And he's like, oh, that's that's cute. Where'd you hear that? And she's like, I just thought about it. Or I just thought of it now. Isn't that what it is? Was this just a comment? Or is Peggy... I, I think it's just a you comment. You just think it's an I think that she's right? just, like, We haven't clever. seen anything from Peggy she, yet thinking... In terms of ambition, I feel like. Well, it? So I, I'm just trying to think, is this a purposeful... Play, but it's not. No, I don't no. think so. It's just no. an offhand. She's just comment. clever, and but that's all know, it takes. Sometimes a good observer, and um, then they're like, you know, you weren't really trying the stuff, and she's like, well, my color was taken, and I wanted one color, and I wasn't going to waste my time with the others. I don't care about this. I know, my, I know myself. Yeah. I don't think anyone wants to be one of a hundred colors in a box. Which immediately made me think of Crayola boxes uh, (laughs) back in the day. So obviously I am not familiar with this lipstick stuff, but I thought of those big crayon boxes. You always wanted the 100 pack. Yeah, there was like 30 shades of lipstick. And it had the 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 sharpener sharpener. in the back. You gotta have that. Yeah. (laughs) Second grade me had to have it. You gotta have it. You, you, you gotta. What? No crayon sharpener? The 60 sharp- or the 120 <laughs> pack? What? No crayon sharpener in the back? What are you? Are you a joke? Yeah. A first grade joke? Anyway. <laughs> um, when she makes that comment, Freddie's face is just like, oh shit. Yeah. And then Joan is like, I bet you wish you could pour that in a glass and drink it. And again, <laughs> even Joan's in on this. She's like, you fucking alcoholic. Yeah. Take that shot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's, it's, I mean, it's a crazy scene from, you know, a different vibe from Peggy. Because it's not Don, it's not her boss. Yeah, so, no, she's just kind of, you know, comfortable just, making little yeah. chit-chat, but, you know, it's it's insightful. 
and Don needs his afternoon cleared out <laughs> because he's sexually frustrated, so he's going to go to Midge's apartment. Um, <laughs> and you'll see that is clear in the way that he greets her. Um, but before that, you know, Freddie and Sal want to stop in, and they're like, hey, Don, Peggy thought of something, like, that might work for the campaign. Just as we were sitting around brains, and he's like, Peggy? And he's like, yeah. Yeah, and then Don just... He says... I try to avoid eye contact to avoid being blinded by the earnestness. Ooh. Ooh. Yeah. But, oh, and then it's funny because he's like, they're like, yeah, she said this during the brainstorming session. He's like, brainstorming? Sorry, I missed that. But he says it, like, derisively, whereas, like, Roger and, like, all the other guys are like, oh, I'm worried I almost missed it. Like, Don doesn't give a shit. He doesn't need this, like, goofy, like, watching the secretary's, like, lips. Well, yeah, and that's just what Joan said in the last episode is, like, he can go outside the office and get whatever he wants. Yeah, he doesn't. So he doesn't need these to be moments of weirdness, yeah. you know. Mm-hmm. Like he doesn't need these boys sessions. He's his own dude and better for it. Yeah, he was just trying to take out a woman to lunch to, you know, seduce her. Oh yeah. Over a, 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 Israel yeah. tourism a campaign. Beautiful, uh, yeah, beautiful woman. No, no secretaries needed here. Yeah. Though um, we've already established that. He had it was established in the first episode that he had a secretary problem, right? Oh yeah, Mr. Debra wasn't interested. She moved on. But like <laughs> Peggy's, you know, like they make jokes about that Peggy's not like the chic girl in the office. I don't think he's like he needs to have like the hot secretary. I think it's just yeah, he's Does she cut her own hair at this point in the show? That's the question. Sure as shit looks like it with those <laughs> The spider bangs. God damn. Gotta get past the spider bangs. We'll get there, guys. Yeah. We'll get there. Um, Freddie says, watching her come up with those kind of little taglines, I was like, watching a dog play the piano. It's pretty clear this guy's plied with about eight drinks already when yeah. he comes in. To say something like that is so strange. Yeah. It's like, shut up, Freddie. But, yeah. I mean, you know, overall, the... The sense is that they but they were really, you know, inspired by what she said. Freddie put the word in. Never yeah. forget that Freddie put the first word in. Yes. Then, yeah, it's pretty funny. Like, as they're talking about her, they, like, pan out. And you can see her in the foreground at her desk and the guys in the background watching her. She gets just a big dump of files on her desk and kind of small smile. You know, yeah. it has a small smile. It's one of those beautiful Mad Men, like, 60s era portrait shots. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, that you could see in an ad. Yeah. You know, like for perfume or something. Yeah. You know, where they're all just... It, watching it's a, her. Yeah. Watching... It's maybe the best... Files get put out, yeah. Scene, best shot of the episode, I think. Yeah. And then, you know, they go back and Dawn has, like, a little kind of smile, like, huh... No shit. Must Peggy? Rub, must rub off on anyone I touch, right? <laughs> right. So even though Rachel like left, you know, Dawn in a lurch after lunch, she calls her sister and tells her sister that she thinks she might have met someone. And her sister's rocking a baby with a cigarette in her mouth. I just love it. <laughs> with like oh, one hand, like God. rocking the cradle like it's like nobody needs this shit yeah and she's like you think or like you're not sure that's not a good sign um she says he has serious limitations doesn't say it but that probably means he has a wife i don't know if his sister right or but that her doesn't sister understands that her to her sister it seems like she's like what is he not jewish not jewish dad would hate him 
because he's not Jewish yeah. and but because, just in general. Yeah. He's a drinker. He's uh Yeah. He's funny after a couple and she's like, "Oh." Oh no. She uses a, a Yiddish term. She calls him a shikker, which means in I guess is a derogatory term in Yiddish of like an alcoholic. Like that's her huh. her sister's like, "Oh, so he's like a drinker." If he's only funny after a few drinks. Like, now dad's really going to hate him. She, Rachel says that she wants him and she wants to ignore everything else about him. They talk about that they could marry to marry for love. But then she kind of, like, kind of reiterates what Don told her in their first <laughs> so in, so-called yeah. date. Where he's like, love is, I invented love, yeah. basically. <laughs> Marriage is fake, love is fake. Yeah. yeah. And she kind of says that same thing. She's kind of getting that cynical vibe to like mm-hmm. justify what she wants to do and her sister's like what are you talking about like don't be so negative here i am you know just taking care of this baby i'm so bored i wish i had some like sexy romance, romance going yeah. on yeah but you know they just kind of leave it a little open and her sister i think has softened her a bit more to the idea by being like go for it girl like, but do what yeah, you want it's not open. live your it's, life it's like the scene of rachel just finally deciding mm-hmm. that fuck it yeah she's, she's just like it's like a it, confirmation bias she's like let me like you know give a haphazard or like a half-hearted argument against it and make my sister like give me the contrary argument to like support what i actually want to do right if my sister says it's good then I'm in. I'm in yeah and joan delivers some fun news to peggy that Freddie and everyone was so impressed by her comments that they want her to work on copy for Belle Jolie, which is big news. But Joan yeah. doesn't say it like that. Joan's like, you still got to do your other duties. You don't get a raise. You don't get a bonus. You this don't get a promotion. Sometimes. You might get some dinner expenses. But the way <laughs> we just have to talk about Joan doing it. Just this trying way. to cut her down. Because Joan. Make her dependent on yes. her emotionally. This is like the first time in the office that we've seen, like, Joan, like, interpret something as threatening. Yeah. Because she does it very nicely. But mm-hmm. this, you know, Joan and Peggy's interactions are always like this. Joan is going to say nice things to Peggy, but cut her cut down. Her down. Do yeah. something to, Make her like, show her, yes. establish her dominance. But here Joan has to deal with something that Peggy's done that Joan's never done, as far as we know. Mm-hmm. The sincerity is lacking. Mm-hmm. The bossing is there. Like, yeah. the commanding is there. And, and Pe- oh. Peggy's like, well, I should go tell them, you know, that, I, that I'm like, so thank them. And Jonah's like, no, no, they were very specific that they wanted me to tell you. The medium is in the message. So, you know, kind of like, so, right. no, you're, this is still like just a secretary thing. Is Joan trying to quash this? We don't know exactly what... We don't know exactly what... They asked Joan to do. Right. Yeah, we don't. We don't see the the scene of them directing Joan. So, I think it's just, you know, I don't think that she's like, this can't, I can't have my secretaries doing it. I think she's just trying to, you know, she's got a good position of being, you know, the woman with the most authority in the office. And she just wants to make sure everyone knows that that's going to stay that right. way. Even if you're going to do some copy work, remember. Right. I still own you. Again, back to Dawn's pent-up frustration. (laughs) 
he comes up to Midge's apartment and comes in and she's um, in like a sweater and her underwear and he basically like picks her up and throws her against the wall or Ready to puts go. her up against the wall. Ready to go. Both They're of like ripping each other's clothes off, but then there's a knock at the door and it's another dude, Roy. Yes. Some dude. Nice, nice hipster vest. He says you know. that she's got a busy... Oh, I didn't realize you had such a busy dance card. Yeah, so it's clear Midge is... Also, like, dating this guy a bit or, yeah, you know, pretty, seeing uh, him, whatever. Pretty open-minded. Yeah. Which we already got that vibe earlier from her, so... Yeah, and whatever. there's, like, a little bit of, like, you know, a power kind of struggle between the guys because he wants them to go out, Roy does, to see their friend, and he's like, if Dad will let you, because Don is wearing, like, you know... His suit and his hat and his yeah. Manhattan but business Don, attire. Don flexes right back and says, I'll, you know what? I'm just going to stay here and wait for her to come back. Yeah. How about that? Because she is going <laughs> to come back. She wants to come back to me. And he's like, oh, you're afraid you're going to miss the 531, like the train to yeah, the suburbs. It's a bunch of posturing. Yeah. You know, but two moose ready to fight yeah but midge convinces him because she tells him that she's gonna wear a skirt and nothing else after all don's a simple man and so god then there's another scene of joan and roger together you know they they're having a banter dynamic relationship after dynamic relationship Mm -hmm. in this whole episode just one-on-ones over and over yeah. and over again. Yeah, it is. And so we get back Relationships. to this newest, the newest of the new yeah, ones when you're we like, have here. Wait, what? <laughs> this one? Right. Um, he's talking about how, like, you know, she's so, like, gloriously beautiful. Like, you know, going around the office, she, he says, like, a magnificent ship, just controlling everything and, like, you know. Clearly still bothered by what happened in the one-sided mirror yeah probably because he knew that she knew that other guys are going to be in there too yeah you know exactly and she's like well what should i do order horse blinders for everyone so he's like well he doesn't like laugh or anything (laughs) he's like i yeah that's fine with me but then you hear a little cheepy cheepy cheep cheep he actually bought her a bird she's like really did you do that yep yep canary and then they're like, and she's like, oh my god, like, no, I have this bird to take care of. And they start, like, you know, macking it, but the bird is chirping, and she's like, Roger. You have to cover it up, you know. Can't let the bird yeah. see that, the little canary. So we're in the village. We're in the village, which, if you're a rock fan like me, the village is so important. Like, this is 1960s in New York Village. Greenwich, Greenwich village. village, yeah. Bob Dylan is right around this area. Yeah. He's coming up soon. Yeah. Um, and here's Don. No, no desire to be there. They're at like a slam poetry session. Basically, they're at like in Goofy Movie Two, the <laughs> beginning, uh, like the coffee shop when the sister is like with her like friends in the beret and like super moody, and they're like reading slam poetry. That's what they are at right now. That is one of the deepest cuts. That you'll ever find Goofy Movie 2 If I was citing regular Goofy Movie You wouldn't have said anything about it No, I wouldn't have It's only because it's a sequel An extremely Goofy Movie That you're (laughs) mentioning this as odd Yes, no Because sometimes the sequels are not good Anyway Um, (laughs) 
the first reading is someone reading like a New York Times wedding announcement about yeah. like a you know really bougie couple getting married where it's like the bride is the daughter of Colonel and Mrs. Sanderson of you know Pebble Beach and blah 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 and like the bride will be keeping her last name etc cetera, etc cetera. um so they're reading that that's like the you know that is funny the, to them yeah but New York Times wedding announcement is like when you're the creme de la creme. That's how you know you fucking made it. Right. So it's no, such a, you know, it's such a like, they're making it artistic because they just are just so like look what these rich people this, these are wasting their time yeah. putting together. It's it's weird opening act to put up there, but it just shows <laughs> you like what kind of weird experimental shit was going on this in is the like village. Some yeah. Hippie, you know, proto hipster stuff. Right. Yeah. Um, and they walk in. Don is mad that there's not a place to put his coat. (laughs) Like, yeah. You're not in that kind of place, Don. And then he's mad he can't sit next to Midge. So Mm -hmm. it's just, like, compounding things. Yeah. And there's this, you know, tension between him and the other guy, even though I think Don knows. I think that Don's, like, annoyed, but he's not, like, truly threatened. But I think the other guy is threatened, you know? I don't know. Don's out of his comfort zone, I think. Yeah. Um... But then they sit down, and the artist Roy orders whiskey, and Don's like, okay. Like, well, now we can we're on, like, in. yeah, we can have a now convers- can civil conversation talk, now. Yeah. <laughs> They're talking about theater of the people, and, you know, he's giving his whole village thing. Right. Where he's like, I'm sure Don can tell you that Broadway is the birthplace of mediocrity, and Don is watching this performance of the New York Times wedding announcements. Yeah, Don's just like, we were in that paper. Shit. What am I going to say? This is this is not art. He's reading the newspaper on the stage. Yeah. He says, well, maybe, you know, mediocrity is born in on Broadway, but it's conceived here. Yeah. And then that clearly rankles Roy. And we get into maybe the best dialogue sequence in the show, this episode. Right. And then Don keeps justifying. He keeps selling it. He's like, it's so, you know, people just want this. Yeah, they want to know yeah. what to do. Unlike what you're about to do in starting a theater production company, people want to be told what to do. <laughs> Buy my shit. Buy whatever I'm sold. And then Don's, yeah, I mean. Midge is like, you guys. Another, a great another, line from Midge. Yeah. A really good line from Midge. Because she knows what, she can, like, she perceives what's going on. She's like, and she's casual about it, just, like, annoyed. If you want to go to the urinals and poke it out. <laughs> yeah. 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 Oh, I would so not good. get in that dick measuring contest with John Hamm is all I can say. <laughs> okay. Again. Well, come with me in this show, that's for sure. There's internet lore that needs to be discussed on this show. That's for the Patreon at some point. <laughs> but I'm not involved in. But, uh, <laughs> the next performance by the slam poets is this woman and her speech is... Just like a story, dreaming of having, and she's saying it very dramatically. Last night I dreamed of making love to Fidel Castro in a king-size bed at the Waldorf Astoria. Viva la revolution, he roared as he vanquished my dress. And then someone yells, take off your shirt, and she does. Yeah. And that's where Dawn's like, all right, I'm ready to go. And she's like, no. One more song. dude's up next, and then we'll go. And then we get the first ever Mad Men montage. I was worried it was another 
brainstorm that you were going to make me come up with an answer to something. To what? You came up with last time. You're like, it's our first ever Mad Mad Brainstorm. Uh, no. What are these stories about? No, not this time. But no. those will continue to come when I find the right opportunities. But here we have our first, you know, the Greenwich folk scene. We, we finally see and they play Waters of Babylon, a folk song. Mm-hmm. The guy's wearing a great suede in the... Um, wool-lined jacket. Those are beautiful looking. I like love a those Sherpa things. style. Yeah, I love yeah, those jackets. I know you too. But we get this montage and we go back to basically every relationship that has been like... Explored in this episode. Right. Confronted in the episode, for sure. And we go through each of them. Then we get Betty putting lipstick on Sally, like perpetuating the exact up. same mm-hmm. thing that her She's mom did her for dress, her. Yeah, yeah we get... Rachel kind of contemplating. Doing her inventory things. at her at her department store alone. Don yeah. is just like kind of has this disturbed look on his face. Yeah, like, does Don like the song? I think Don kind of is like, you know, like. It's giving him, into the he's, song. Always, yeah. he's always churning thoughts. Right. And then we get Joan and Roger, maybe the most interesting one where they're, they're finishing up. Yep, She's getting dressed again. He hands her the bird. She walks out first, stands on one you know, side of one the doorway, part of the, the, the doorway entryway. of the hotel. He's 12 feet away. 10 seconds later, he yeah. comes out and stands like 25 feet away from her, and that's how the show closes. That is episode six. What a banger. So good. So this episode is ranked 80 out of 93 on IMDb. It has an 8.0. It's another one of those like eight or so that's tied with an eight. Which is crazy. Uh, this episode's phenomenal. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, that's just how good the show is. Like, the lowest rating this show ever gets is a 7.6. We've <laughs> already covered that. So that's pretty ridiculous. This is great out of great and extremely great. Yeah. To a masterpiece <laughs> level, basically. Um, my, so my favorite quote from this one is when Roy asked Don, how do you sleep at night? And he says, on a bed made of money. Yeah, it's an all-time Don. It's like, fuck you. Yeah. I think I'm going to go with my quote is Peggy talking to Rumps and just saying, I don't think anyone wants to be just one of a hundred colors in a box. Mm-hmm. And we finally get some creativity real, like yeah, moxie like, from yeah, Peggy. Yeah. Yeah. Moxie. She's got some moxie. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> now, this episode, we get a lot of Sterling, so we have some Sterling's gold to offer. Mm-hmm. What would be uh, your Sterling's gold? Um, I liked kind of the duality of when he said to Mona and Margaret when they arrived, look who it is, a couple of angels, and then as... He and Joan were wrapping up their first scene together. He said, whatever you want, Red. And just kind of, you know, his his self-aware treatment of, like, you know, the different women in his life and the different roles they have. And that, you know, there's wife and daughter, precious from home. And then there's Red, you know, the fiery mistress. <laughs> yeah. I mean, everything he says is amazing, but I just can't get over the way he talks about the food in this episode. It's not even necessary for him to say something like this. Just is off the top of his head where he just says, Oysters, Rockefeller, Napoleons, you know, we leave this tray alone. They're going to take over Europe. (laughs) It's just a good, clever line that it's not directed at it. I think he's talking to himself almost. He's trying Mm -hmm. to make 
Joan, Joan Lath, but kind of. I think yeah. he's just observing things, which he's just observing things, observing. you know? Yeah. yeah. Favorite outfit. I have two, both red. I like Joan in, like, the end scene, which is also what she's wearing t- to the office that day, like a nice, solid sh- red sheath dress. But as she's, like, leaving the hotel, she puts on this really cool, like, cheetah cheetah print coat and white gloves and looks very glamorous i also like the red power skirt suit that rachel wears to the lunch with the pierre to show dawn that it's no nonsense but also that she is going to look fabulous to you know their lunch only discussing things yeah what about you well the obvious answer is joan in front of the two-way mirror. That's mm-hmm. the obvious answer. The correct answer is if Rachel Mankin's in the episode, Rachel Mankin is the best-dressed person in probably the first season of Mad Men. Yeah. Every single time she's on screen, she looks... She dresses so unique and so, like, good-looking on her. It's just mm-hmm. perfect. Every time you see her, it's just glamour, but a different type of glamour that you get from the rest of the show. Yeah. The one competitor would be Betty... But it's like a whole different, you know, because she's not wearing business attire. She's wearing, you know, like formal. She's wearing things that. Yeah, don't. well, she's always in white, basically. So well, she's been in yeah. nightgowns. That's the thing. It's like when she's actually dressed up, though, for an occasion, for to go into the city and do something, then she's like dressed to the nines. But they're different styles, so. Yeah. But between yeah. the two of them, the clothes are just. Ugh. Um, who was hired for you this episode? I think there's only one answer to this episode. Peggy. Given what we know about the yeah. show moving on. Peggy. Getting her yeah. foot in the door without even trying. Peggy transcends the episode and, mm-hmm. and like transcends the secretarial, you know, the chicken lot. <laughs> and yeah. like uh, actually impresses everyone regarding copy. Yeah. So who do you think you would fire? I gotta say Don in this one, is he just like, he's laying the groundwork for like later stuff that's gonna work out in his favor and always does, but like he gets kind of, he doesn't get a full on Rachel falling for him into his arms, even though he tries. That he knows of, but yeah. it seems yeah. like but from behind you know, the scenes. And he gets, you know, this other dude encroaching on Midge when he really needed to you know, be with her to, you know, have an outlet for his his stresses. And, you know, even things with Betty are a little, like, they're off sync a bit when she's kind of putting the moves on him and he says it's too hot. Right. So he's, he's not feeling himself, a, maybe even. He's having yeah. a little floundering, but he'll get back to it. It's crazy. It never fired on. Yeah. I'm going to fire... Demote. <laughs> We'll put him on a, on a leave, on Super paid leave. Super secret probation. Double secret. Yeah. Yeah. How about you? I'm going to fire Roger, and I feel like yeah. it's treason. But every scene we get with Roger, aside from his great lines, mm-hmm. we get an, a scene where his he's struggling to understand his wife and his daughter or, or connect to them. We get a couple of scenes with Joan, which good for Roger. But then he buys her a bird. You never buy someone a bird. I'm sorry. Yeah. You never buy your fuck buddy. You never buy your your mistress, your fuck buddy. A bird. A bird. All right. Those things live forever. I. It's just a weird Roger episode. You know, he says I was 
he just says a lot of weird stuff. He's clearly dealing with some stuff we don't quite know about yet. Um, so I, I just, yeah, it wasn't, struggling. yeah, it was, it just wasn't the best look for him. <laughs> and a, a little preview to next week about things that are not going to be the best look for yeah. him. Let's get into Roger next week. Yeah. And last but not least, our final episode power rank. Oh. Where do you rate season one, episode six, Babylon? And I love this ranking? episode. For me, I think it's going to overtake Smoke Gets in Her Eyes as number one. I agree. This right is the best eyes, episode yeah. so far. Yeah, it's just this is really where, dynamic. The relationships are really getting developed now. Right. There, there's no need to like break to explain anything anymore. You're expected to know these characters, and now you have to interpret their relationships and deal with their relationships yeah. with each other. And that is where the show shines, with characters dialoguing and butting heads with characters. This is the best episode so far. It's number one on mine as yeah. well. All right. That is season one, episode six.